0: And I'm sitting here with, um, should I say animation royalty? Or do you not consider yourself animation royalty? Well,
1: I don't consider myself royalty, but certainly a journeyman voice actor. Yeah.
0: Uh, Townsend Coleman, everybody. Arthur, honk if you love justice.
1: (laughs) Honk if you love... Hey, Arthur, guess who we got on the line? (laughs) Abdullah <laughs> Red, how are you man?
0: You are one of my idols. I, I love the tick. I, I, I adore the tick. I, I am crazy about the tick and I, I am crazy about Ninja Turtles, so. Thanks man, well look, at this is the
1: tick, this is the tick blushing. You see that <laughs> That blue, that blue just turned a slight shade of pink.
0: So my first question is is Townsend your actual name?
1: Townsend is my actual name. Yeah, in fact, actually my actual actual name is Townsend Putnam Coleman the 3rd.
0: Can I okay. just can, can I just say out <laughs> of all the out of all the voice actors I've interviewed, you have yes. the coolest name
1: out of we'll all of them? Make- well, I certainly have the longest name, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. My my dad had the same name as well as my grandfather. So, uh, yeah, I'm the third. And they're all, you know, I mean, they're all three family last names. Uh, obviously, Coleman is last name, but uh, but Putnam is a last name from back in my uh, lineage as well as Townsend. Uh, so I, you know, I grew up with no first names. It was a bit of a drag uh, for me.
0: And I just love the fact that every time I listen to an interview with with your your old castmates, they always refer to you as Townie. And I just
1: Townie. Well, you know the crazy thing about that is that that's how I grew up. When I was a little kid, I was Townie Coleman, and you know went all the way through high school being Townie Coleman. And but but I, I I I always hated that name as a kid because my dad had the same nickname. And so when I came along, he was big Townie and I was little Townie, which would just made it even worse. But all I ever wanted to do was be a, you know, a Pete or a Bob or a Steve, uh, John, you know, some, some normal kid's name. And here I was Townie. So I'd always, I always sort of, you know, I was on my guard about it ever, you know, since I was a little kid. And when I went off to college at the University of Colorado in Boulder, I, I actually changed it. I decided I didn't want to be Tony. I didn't want to be Townsend. I was going to be something else, just normal. And, uh, so I changed it to Scott. And so in college, I was Scott Coleman. And, uh, to this day, you know, if I ever reconnect with somebody from my college days, it's, they still call me Scott. You know, it's, it's not, not Townsend or Townie. Um but when I moved out here, after I got married and got on the radio in Cleveland, uh, I went back to using my, my, my real name, but not Townie. I was Townsend, but I found that everybody who met me eventually as we became friends would start calling me Townie anyway, not having any idea that that's how I grew up. And when I moved out here to California, same thing happened. People just, you know, when we, when we got to know each other and became friends and stuff, they'd start calling me Towny and, you know, I just decided not to fight it. I just went with it. And, and so now it's more of an endearment. I think when I was a kid, I just felt like an oddball, you know, but, uh, yeah, so. Call me whatever you want.
0: <laughs> no, because I I, I point that up because when I when I first uh, you know looked up because I grew up with uh, as we were talking about before we started recording, I grew up with like the du- the Arabic dubbed Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles over here. Right. and How did I sound in Arabic? Was I was I a totally Arabic surfer dude? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that would sound like to be quite.
1: Honest. <laughs> right. Right.
0: But um no, but it, you know when I when I you know found the original you know uh show in English, and I looked at the cast names and I'm like Townsend Coleman, that can't be the guy's name. That can't be his real name. <laughs> that, that
1: can't be real. <laughs> Are you serious? Did you really think that?
0: Yeah, because I'm like all the other guys had like normal names,
1: Rob. Yeah, my, that's now,
0: that's
1: exactly what I'm saying, Abdullah. Like, I I wanted a normal name when I was a kid.
0: No, but yeah. I I'm kind of glad you didn't change it because it 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 made you made just stick out in my mind. It's like, "Oh, Townsend. That's that's actually a pretty cool name, you know?"
1: Well, thanks, dude. I appreciate it. Yeah, I used, I used to think, you know, if I never do make it in this world of cartoons, that's fine. At least I can say I had the biggest name in cartoons. <laughs> you look at the credits, you know, always my name is always like, you know, eons longer than anybody else's, uh, you know, but, uh, hey, it is what it is. You know, it's funny when I was back on the radio in Cleveland, uh, and again, Townsend is just not one, even Townie is, I mean, these are just, they're not radio names. So, you know, so often guys get into radio and then they change their names to, you know, be, you know, um, uh, Chuck Matthews, you know, or, or something. And
0: Gary Owens.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Except in Gary's case, I think it was his real name. But, um, so I got on the radio and, and my very first night, uh, at this one particular station where I was starting out, uh, I was working midnight to six. I was working the the graveyard shift, and and I decided I because my dad had been in radio briefly when we lived in Denver when I was a little kid, and uh, he used the name uh, he was a newsman, and so he used the name Thomas Peter Cochran, uh, as his his air name. Because it used the same initials that we had, TPC. So he was Thomas Peter Cochran. So I thought, you know what? As a nod to my dad, I'm going to be Tom Cochran. That's going to be my radio name, Tom Cochran. So I, so I start on the air that night, and I am stumbling all over the place. Every time I open the mic and try and say my name, it just is not working. I, as easy a name as that is to say, I just couldn't make it sound natural. And about two hours into my shift, about 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, my program director, he hotlines me. And he calls me up. He says, Townsend, you know what? The Tom Cochran thing does not work. And just use your real name. <laughs> I'm like, serious? He says, yeah, just just use your real name and then go with it. I'm like, okay. So the next time I open the mic, I'm now... Not no longer Tom Cochran. I'm now Townsend Coleman. Halfway through this shift, same guy, just different name. So that's how I ended up just using my real name on the radio in Cleveland. And uh, and then there was one other station about oh five or six years later, uh, where the guy, the program director at that station, didn't want me to use my real name. He didn't. He didn't think it was a good good radio name. And I agreed with him. And I said, but the problem is that. I'm on TV here in Cleveland now doing some on air stuff as Townsend Coleman. It'd be a little odd for me to be, you know, some other name. He wanted me to be Butch. He wanted me to literally use the name Butch. He said, you need a more Butch name. He said, how about Butch? And I said, nah, I don't know about Butch. He said, how about Max, Max Coleman? So, well, that's better than Butch, but, <laughs> but, but still I got this problem of being on TV here in town and being Townsend Coleman would be a little odd to be Max Coleman on the radio, uh, cause I could never be the same guy with a different name. So he says, yeah, just use your, your real name. And, uh, so I just embraced it and that was it. Here I am. Biggest name in cartoons. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So um, how did you um, tra- transition from radio to voiceover?
1: Well, uh, it actually was the other way. Yeah, I, at, when I was on the radio in Cleveland, uh, a couple of years into my radio career, I discovered voiceover um, because I was starting to voice the commercials uh, at our, the radio stations that I worked at. I had a couple of them. I was progr- uh, not program director, but uh, production director. And so I would voice the commercials, the local spots that we did there. Um, and of course I wouldn't get paid any extra for it. That was just part of my job. And, and then I found that there were ad agencies, advertising agencies in Cleveland who would, uh, hire me to freelance to do, to voice, uh, commercials for them. Um, apart from the radio station, they would pay me decent money for that. And I thought, well, this is crazy. What's this all about? And discovered that's how I discovered the whole world of voiceover. And so I joined the union and uh, put together a demo, a, a voice demo, and started shopping it around to ad agencies uh, not only around town but uh, also in Pittsburgh and Columbus and was thinking about heading out uh, toward Detroit and such and uh, just really freelancing in the um, – in the, uh, Midwest there. And, uh, so that's how I broke into voiceover, uh, uh, along with my radio career. And then after about five, four or five years of that, I realized I'm making more money a year doing the freelance voiceover thing than I am working six days a week at the radio station. Yeah. It just didn't make any sense to me. So after a 10 year radio career, I find, I finally, um, just quit and was going to freelance doing just voiceover work, uh, there in the Cleveland area and environs. And, and, um, and, uh, as it turned out, the house we were living in, uh, we had been renting for about five years. Uh, I got notice it was being sold. This is right after I quit the radio and, uh, and we had to be out of our house like in another three or four months. And I thought, well, this is insane. I've got to find a place to live. And i got to get my kids in school, so I really don't have that much time. This is in uh, June of 84. And uh, and so that's when I thought, you know, if, if I've got to make a physical move anyway, and I had just turned 30 at the time, so I thought, gosh, it's all coming together at once. I've just turned 30. I've just quit my radio career. Uh, I've got to make a physical move anyway. I've always wanted to go to, and I was doing a lot of theater uh, in Cleveland at the time. A lot of musicals, a lot of, a lot of a lot of stage productions. And um and I my my goal really, my desire was really to be an actor, not a not a DJ. And 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 I'd always wanted to move to either New York or LA. So I thought, well, I'm going to take a trip out to LA and just see what that looks like. Um went out right after the Olympics of 84 and um 2 weeks later, I found a little place to rent. Uh, out here. And uh, two weeks later, we were living here. I, it just happened that fast. Got my kids into school over Labor Day weekend. And that was it. So, I mean, that's how that's how I discovered voiceover and made the transition from radio into voiceover. Uh, but then really the bigger move uh, for me ended up being a physical move from uh, uh, from uh, Cleveland to L.A. And uh, I was very lucky, got an agent out here pretty much right away. And, uh, they started giving me auditions. I started booking some work and within, within six months, um, I booked my uh, first cartoon series, uh, a show called inspector gadget. And, um, and that was it. Uh, at that point then when, and cartoons was something I never even thought about doing. I, I mean, I really came out here to be an on camera actor for TV and film and stuff. And, uh, was gonna just do some voiceover for sure um, to try and make ends meet while I got the theatrical career off the ground. Um, little did I realize that the voiceover thing would end up becoming my career and I'd forsake the the on-camera stuff altogether and uh, yeah and so six months uh, after I moved here my agent uh, sent me on an audition for a cartoon series which I'd never thought about doing but I thought oh, that could be kind of fun. And I had worked at a couple of stations where I, I did some characters and stuff, and I had enough of a theater background that I thought, well, you know, this could be kind of kind of interesting. So I went on this thing, ended up getting the gig, and uh, two days later found myself in a in a little studio in Burbank with uh, Maurice LaMarche and Frank Welker and Don Adams and me. And I just I looked around, and I thought, how in the world did this happen? I mean, six months ago, I was living in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, you know, just quitting a radio gig. And here I am in, in Hollywood doing a cartoon with these, well, and uh, I was going to say these legends. And of course they, they are legends. Uh, but at the time I was brand new to it, had no idea who these guys were. Now I knew who Don Adams was because I grew up watching him as Get Smart. And of course he was the voice of Tennessee Tuxedo and the voice of Mac, uh, uh, he was the voice of uh, uh, Gadget himself, and um, but I didn't know who Frank was, and I didn't know who Maurice Lamarche was at the time. Um, but they seemed um, like pretty, pretty talented guys, pretty decent guys. And little did I realize that within the course of that first session, I would, I would get a, a real spanking, a real, a real awakening as to who these guys were. But anyway, so. Getting ahead of myself, but that's, uh, to answer your question, that's how I fell into voiceover or, or transitioned into voiceover from radio.
0: And what was it like? Because I know Inspector Yajid was directed by Wally Burr and I'm, I'm, and I asked every, every person who I've, who's been on this show how, who's ever worked with Wally. What was it like working
1: with Well, slow, slow, slow down mm-hmm. just a sec, because uh, Gadget wasn't uh, directed by Wallace. Oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> Gadget, yeah, no. Gadget was directed by uh, Marsha Goodman. Oh, and, oh uh, sorry. Yeah, she was at, with a company called Deke uh, at the time, and she was the casting director and the voice director uh, for them. Yeah, and so she was the director on uh, Inspector Gadget. Oh okay yeah, sorry Wally, <laughs> Wally, yeah Wally no Wally w- was doing at the same time was was doing uh, all his Wally stuff he was uh, he was doing GI Joe and Muppet babies and uh um uh Transformers um and Gem and the holograms uh yeah Wally was a very uh, busy uh, voice casting director and voice director a dialogue director himself uh for sure at the time and I didn't know him yet um, but yeah, it was Marcia Goodman who was directing. Uh, oh, Gacha. sorry, sorry.
0: No, oh, that's right. Yeah, that, that, that's that's that that's what happens when I rely on IMDb for information. No, that's right. That's
1: right. Yeah.
0: No, but but how did you? How was that experience working with with people who like with legends like that? In, in well, business. Um,
1: yeah. Well, it was it was a joy and an eye opener for sure. Um. Uh, again, uh, at that first session, uh, I didn't see, I wasn't one of these kids who grew up, um, watching a ton of cartoons. I mean, I, I certainly did, but I think the cartoons that I watched, you know, were the Warner Brothers and, and, uh, Hanna-Barbera cartoons, um, when I was a kid. So, you know, it was Huckleberry Han and Yogi Bear and those guys. So the, the heroes, well, I can't even say that they were heroes, but the guys, you know, who were doing all that work that time with, you know, Mel Blanc and Doss Butler. Um, and, and so when I got to meet Dawes Butler for the first time that I was a bit of a starstruck uh, with that, that was pretty crazy to me. Um, but here I am in the session for inspector gadget and I, and this was Maurice LaMarche's first, uh, animated series as well. So he had yet to establish himself as the legend that he is now, um, but at the time, Frank Welker was certainly the king of cartoons back then, but I just didn't know it, and I happened to be sitting next to him. And so I just remember thinking, and I've told this story a million times, but perhaps it bears repeating, it, it, that at that session, um I was familiar with the series because my kids watched it when we were back in Cleveland. It had been on the air for a year or two already. and uh, And I remember thinking... Whenever I'd hear it on in the background, whenever I'd hear this Dr. Claw voice, um, it would always amaze me. I'd think, wow, you know, because, I mean, I, I had an, an ear for voices and, you know, when I'd hear something unusual or distinct, distinctive, I w- my ears would perk up and I'd be curious. So whenever this Dr. Claw voice came on, I I would always try and imagine what this guy must have looked like. And so here I am in my first gadget session and I'm sitting with Mo and, and Frank and Don Adams and I'm looking at them and I know it's not Don Adams and I'm looking at Mo and Frank and talking to them going, Well it can't be either of them because both of them have just really just sort of very pleasant, light, you know, friendly voices, nothing like what you'd imagine a Dr. Claw guy would look like. So I figure, well the guy's just not here and they're gonna pick his lines up later you know, in another recording session or something. So we start a a read through of the script and they're recording this and we get to a page with Dr. Claw lines on it. And I think we're just going to skip over them. So we get to those lines and then all of a sudden Frank, who's sitting right next to me to my left, opens his mouth and out, falls this Dr. Claw voice, and I'm so blown away. I just, like, I just gasp loudly, and I looked at him. I said, oh, my God, that's you, and, you know, forgetting for a moment that we're recording, and they stopped the recording, and he looks at me, just smiles, and he says, yeah, that's me, and uh, I was so blown away by that, You know, that after the recording session we got to chatting and I just wanted to know more about who this guy was and you know, what was he about and how did he do these this crazy voice? And so Mo, of course, was friends of his and knew you know, knew all about his talent. So he says he says, Frank, Frank, do your do your ducks. And so Frank does this thing where he's like seventeen ducks singing simultaneously or something. So he does this crazy thing where it sounds like a million ducks coming out of his throat, and they're all singing. Um, it was the most bizarre. So he does a number of these sorts of things, and I'm just stunned. And that was that was a real eye-opener for me when I thought, okay, now I'm getting a little idea of what the guys who do this are all about. And I thought, I, I, I'm in some rarefied air here. And I would like to do more of this stuff if I could. So I told my agent, I said, man, that session was a blast. And I ended up doing 10 episodes, the last 10 episodes of the series, as this character Corporal Cape man, who ended up becoming one of the most hated uh, uh, um, characters in that series, I came to find out, only a number of years ago. Um Yeah, I mean, he was a goofy character, you know, and um but... I I I came to understand that this this business was populated by some monstrously talented folks and I had yet to have my eyes opened even wider uh you know once I started booking other series but I told my agent I said I I had a blast I would love to do more of this stuff and so they sent me on auditions I got an audition a general audition over at Hanna-Barbera and got in over there and that's where I met Andrea Romano and Gordon Hunt and started meeting, um, other voice actors and, uh, yeah, it was, it was crazy, um, crazy time for me.
0: And when did, um, moving, you know, moving forward from that, when did the whole turtles thing start?
1: Well, uh, yeah, so I got gadget in March of 85 and, and, uh, and then later that year got in over at Hanna-Barbera, was doing a show for them called, uh, Wildfire. Uh, I want to say that maybe that was in late 85, 86, did some guest stuff on like the Snorks and the Littles and shows like that. Um, and then, uh, we did a, a show, uh, with, uh, Rob Paulson and, um, Pat Fraley and Peter Cullen. We did a, a show called, uh, uh Saber Rider and the Star Sheriffs so it was actually an anime early anime show from Japan that we were revoicing into English and uh and and, and then I got um I want to say I'm maybe a little out of order here but it uh, was got um Teen Wolf I was a Scott on Teen Wolf uh, back in I guess 86 and then I got uh Fraggle Rock now Fraggle Rock had been a a show that was uh, a Jim Henson Muppet based show, a live action show and, uh, NBC wanted to do, uh, an animated version of it. And so they, uh, worked that out with Henson. And uh, apparently, as I understand it, the original actors who are the, you know, the Muppeteers, uh, on the, uh, live action version of Fraggle Rock, uh, didn't want to do the voices. So they were casting, um, sound for this and I auditioned for it, and I ended up getting a couple of parts on on Fraggle Rock, along with uh, Rob Paulson and Bob Bergen and uh, Pat Penny and uh, Mona Marshall and uh, Barbara Goodson. It was a it was a really fantastic show uh, to to work on, and we were supposed to do two seasons of it. Ended up only doing one season of it um, because apparently uh, uh, Brandon Tartikoff. From, uh, who was the head of uh, programming over at NBC at the time. Apparently his, uh, his nine year old daughter didn't, uh, like it much. And, uh, and so he, he canceled it after the first season, which was a drag. But, um, it was at that, it was recording those shows, uh, that were being voice directed by a guy named Stu Rosen, um, who came into one of the sessions one day with, with his briefcase and he says, Hey, you guys, you're not going to believe what I'm casting and directing next, and he pulls out an a comic book and it's an issue of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Well I don't think any of us had ever heard of it at that point, certainly I hadn't and uh and I looked at it and I thought, <laughs> what an interesting title and uh and so and so he said, yeah it's gonna be great. I'll bring you guys in on it. and of course, we're looking at each other cross eyed thinking, you know. This didn't look like something that had much in the way of legs but uh but he did he brought us in to audition for it um i re- i recall auditioning for all four of the turtles and um ended up getting cast in it along with uh, Rob and uh Barry Gordon and cam Clark and uh pat fraley and um here we were off and running on this uh this really um what we thought was uh was a, a bizarre concept of a show, but uh, hey, why not? You know, it's work, and uh, and so we did those first five episodes, and uh, those were done as a pilot, and uh, and it's interesting too because they consider that now, as we look back on it, they consider those first five episodes the first season, and uh, those aired at the end of what was it, '87 uh, into early '88. Uh, and then they just waited to see what the response of the broadcasters was and, uh, we ended up getting picked up. So we went into series and, uh, we were syndicated at first and then went to network on CBS and then were syndicated again after that. And, um, of course it just went on to become this juggernaut of a uh, franchise, uh, that is probably doing, you know, better today than it ever was, but that's, that's that's where turtles came came into my life was uh out of a Fraggle the first uh, time I heard of it was uh, out of a Fraggle Rock session, and uh, you know we auditioned for it just like we did back then for everything we do, and uh, got lucky and got cast.
0: And was Michelangelo always supposed to have a surfer accent, or was that something you came up with?
1: Yeah, no, that was the prototype that they were asking for at the auditions. Um yeah they said that he is uh he's a surfer dude he's he's you know like kind of a uh a sort of a Sean Penn out of Fast Times at Ridgemont High I don't know if you ever saw that movie but uh, uh over there in Kuwait <laughs> but uh yeah Sean Penn's character from that was uh was really sort of the 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 epitome of the kind of character they, they were looking for, but perhaps not quite as brain dead, but yeah, that kind of surfer dude, you know, sort of a, you know, kind of a, you know, whoa, bra, you know, that's, uh, it's like totally, totally, that's bodacious, you know. Um, so I did my version of that along with, uh, you know, Doing, you know, as as wise as wise ass a guy as I could for my Raphael audition, and 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 as geeky a, a guy as I could for Donatello, and as you know, straight ahead uh, leader guy uh, as I could for Leonardo. Um, yeah, and uh, and the other guys, I think. Well, now Barry may not have auditioned for all four, but I know uh, Rob did, Cam did, and uh, and so they um, cast Rob as Raphael. Uh, hands down. And when we went to the first set, and Barry is Donatello, of course, but when we went to the first session, they hadn't decided whether I was going to be Michelangelo or Leonardo. And same with Cam. And that they were just going to have us each try both roles uh, at that first recording session and then make their decision based on that. And as it turned out, uh, just the the way that first session went, it was a little chaotic as I recall. And so they had me do Michelangelo first and Cam do Leonardo first. And after the first read through, uh, they were more concerned with other stuff, um, in the control room and they just never, uh, switched us. They never had us try it the other way to see how it would work with Cam being Michelangelo and me being Leonardo. And, uh, so that's how I ended up with Michelangelo and Cam was Leo. Um, for the duration and uh, we still embody those characters today
0: and uh what was it like working with the late great James Avery on that show
1: oh it was great i mean it really was james this is just be i mean he was such a great actor and 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 really a uh, a a well trained uh uh shakespearean actor i mean this guy was uh, was the the real deal And uh, this was before he got Fresh Prince, uh, Bel Air, and and I remember him going on the audition for that when we were doing our show, and then he he booked that series, and then we just didn't see him as much, and which was which was kind of a drag. But James, he was just a big teddy bear of a guy. I mean, couldn't couldn't have been nicer, more friendly, more down to earth. Uh, just couldn't have been more of a lovable, uh, uh, man. And, uh, it was great working with him. We loved it. We, we had such a blast at those sessions. Um, we really did become a, a big family. And, uh, when he passed away, it was like our hearts were just ripped out of our chests.
0: Because I remember the documentary you guys did, and I remember that scene where, you know, he comes in and you give him the biggest hug, and you turn to the camera yeah. and say, you guys might not know who we are, but you definitely know who this guy is. Yeah, that's right. That's right.
1: Well, he went on to become a big star because of Fresh Prince, you know? Uncle Phil! <laughs> and, uh... Yeah. Yeah, and that that show launched a couple of careers. And... um yeah, and so we're all of course all excited for him and really proud of him and and uh thankful to to know him uh as we knew him and when we knew him and uh thankful to have known him once he passed. And uh yeah, I remember um going to his his uh, memorial um with Renee, uh Renee Jacobs who of course was the voice of April. And um Renee and I went to his memorial, and and uh, it was, it couldn't have been more touching. Just the the tributes uh, that came from so many areas of his life, his the his friends and family who he grew up with, and then of course his Fresh Prince family, and uh, and then um, some folks from his, his the voiceover world. You know, it was it was it was monstrously uh, touching. Um, at the time James was a a one of a kind, and yeah, miss him still
0: and uh what was it like getting back together with the old gang to do the reunion episodes for the twenty twelve series?
1: Well, that was a blast um abdullah you know I mean i gotta say you because know, a lot of years passed uh from when we stopped doing the show in i think we stopped recording let's see the last we probably stopped recording in ninety six I think, and um, and then we all kind of sort of went our separate ways. I had I had branched off into voicing network promos by that time, and so that was keeping me really busy. And I was doing less and less animation. And uh, and Cam and Barry were doing their things. Uh, Barry went off and became the president of the Screen Actors Guild, <laughs> and a lawyer to boot. I remember so many sessions uh, at Ninja Turtles recording sessions. Barry with his law books spread out on his lap while we were recording, and you know he'd be highlighting passages uh and then look up to do his line and then go back to highlighting passages um It was very funny and um and cam is very active in looping and had his own looping group and stuff, so we were and and, and rob then um of course, uh, was prolific, uh, in not only animation, but in commercial voiceover and, uh, became the voice of Honda for the longest time. And, and so we all kind of went our, our separate ways. And, and then with, with the advent of the internet and becoming so popular and then, and then podcasting, uh, Rob started his Talking Tunes podcast. And I remember him wanting to get us back together. Uh, we all went out to dinner one night because he wanted to get us back together to do an episode of his Talking Tunes podcast. And at that point, we hadn't seen each other in, oh gosh, I, 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 I want to say 10 years, maybe 8 years. And so, I mean, that was the real reunion for us. And, and then, um I think, uh, or perhaps just shortly before that was the, uh, the documentary that you're talking about, uh, when we did that over at Kevin Eastman's house, and where we saw James, and um, it's like when we got together for the first time after having seen each other so often um, for 10 years, um, and then not seeing each other for the longest time, when we saw each other again, it was man, it it, it was it really was like a family reunion. It was the best. And so then Rob starts this podcast, uh, which becomes um hugely successful. And I remember going and doing this podcast, uh, at a comedy club over at, uh, universal city walk. And, and it, 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 we, it just couldn't have been more of a delight. Um, the fans were, you know, just so appreciative and so, uh, lively and engaged. And, uh, and that was that was really really amazing. Um, and then so we started keeping in touch with each, with each other uh, even more. And and then the 2012 Ninja Turtle series comes along, and Rob's on it, and we're all blown away. It's like, dude, that's awesome. How'd you do that? And uh, and yet he's not Raphael. He's Donatello this time. Uh And so that was a blast. And, and the cool thing about it is that Sir and and uh, and Brandon Allman, uh really the guys who were writing and running the show, creating the show for Nickelodeon, um, were, were big fans of the original series that we did. And so they were talking for a while about wanting to bring us back uh, somehow and and incorporating it into the this new series. And so when they came up with this idea of this crossover episode, of course, we were all really excited. But it wasn't until we went and actually recorded it and saw what a unique, um, uh, just what a blast it was uh, to, to incorporate the original Turtles uh, into the new Turtles. And yet have Rob sort of, you know, doing this weird transdimensional thing, you know, between being the original Raphael and the current Donatello and in some cases actually talking to himself uh and making a joke about it you know about how similar they sounded <laughs> um that was just that was just such a very cool highlight for all of us
0: and uh you know is it, is, it, is it is that weird like going back to that and, and thinking to yourself wow this this thing's been part of my life for God, 35 or so years now? You know, could you imagine how, how crazy that must be to, 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 you know, walk in with the same guys and, and realize you're still working on something that's been around for, you know, 30 plus years now.
1: Well, it is, it was weird, uh, but in a wonderful way. I mean, not in a strange way. It was like, I mean, we looked at each other like, how lucky are we? You guys believe this? You guys believe what's going on? I mean, this is crazy. That, that this, that this cartoon series, that this franchise not only still exists, but is bigger than ever. And that, that, that we're all still involved in it somehow, you know, and certainly Rob and the, and the crazy thing about Robbie now is that not only did he do that, you know, 2012 series for five years as Donatello, but he's now voice directing. He's made that transition into being the voice director of the new series that just uh, debuted in the fall. I think that's fantastic. You know, it's like it, this is in his DNA. Well, it's in all of our DNA now. Um, and the really cool thing about it, Abdullah, is that is that rarely do we get an opportunity to be a part of something that's as uh, that's as iconic as this. I mean. They may not know our names, but they certainly know our voices and certainly know, you know, the picture of Michelangelo, uh, around the world. I mean, that's pretty stunning. And to think that, you know, even if I don't ever work again in this business, um, I will always have that, uh, in my back, in back pocket, you know, that I will always have that, uh, a chip, uh, on the table, if you will. Um, you know nobody can take that away from me, and that's a really special feeling that's it's that's pretty remarkable and uh but the but the really the really great thing about it is not only do I have that from back then to still call my own but out of that we developed such really close friendships i mean the the uh we we all stay uh in close contact uh in fact we've been going over to cam's house Recently, um, just doing, just getting together, just to sing some songs uh, for various occasions. And Cam makes uh, little videos about this, and then posts them on his, uh, you know, on his Facebook page. And just to be able to do that, to be able to still call these guys uh, and and gals uh, friends and close friends, like family uh, friends, uh, after all these years, that's the real gift that I think each of us have received. From Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles,
0: and I think you guys are the only uh, guys who can still have that connection because all the other turtles, you know, kind of went their separate ways, unfortunately. But you guys still um, still get together and do that st- sort of stuff, and that's
1: pretty no question. Great. I, yeah, I can't speak to the the other casts and 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 their relationships, but yeah, I certainly can speak to to our cast and uh, and the remarkable. The remarkable friendships that have, have, uh, have developed, um, and, and been maintained over all these years because of it. Yeah, for sure.
0: And, uh, you actually got to reprise your role as, as, uh, Michelangelo in that anti-drug cartoon. And I'm kind of wondering, what was that experience like? Yeah, dude,
1: that was because I was such a drug addict back then. And I knew I needed to get like really sober. And so that's how I got that part is they, they, they just needed to get Mikey into rehab. And of course I'm kidding everybody. I was never a drug addict. Yeah. That, um, that was a it was a very cool thing. I mean, uh I you know, I don't know how people, you know, we live in such a different time now. I don't know how people look at that kind of stuff now. But but back then, you know, it was it was a big deal and and so they got all these cartoon characters uh together to, you know, to do this anti-drug campaign. I was proud to be a part of it. I was proud that I was the turtle that they picked for it. Um that was a real honor for me. Um, you know, and to be on that with uh, all these other um you know, fantastic folks and uh, terrifically talented uh uh titans of the tune industry. Uh it was um it was cool. It was just plain cool. Yeah.
0: And uh let's move on to uh, the tick. How did that come let's about? Let's do, shall we? I was
1: wondering <laughs> when you'd get to that. Hey, Arthur, it's finally our turn. There <laughs> you go. That's me. Oh, gross. Yes, that's me. Dean. That's me. That fun. You face the tick. There you have it. I just love okay. the idea
0: that the cartoon series for the tick came about because a toy company wanted to, uh, to, wanted to rival the TMNT toy line.
1: Me, 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 me. Yeah, that's right. Um. Yeah, well, actually, I mean, the idea of the tick didn't... Uh, well, I know it was a, I know it was
0: a comic, but like the, you yeah, know. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so yeah. how did it come, so how did it come about for you? Um, like, how did, they, how did you get the role of the tick?
1: Well, again, you know, Abdullah, the, the same way that I uh, got everything is, uh, uh, they put the auditions out to the, uh, agents in town and the agents bring in their clients that they think, you know, might be right for a particular role. And we record our auditions. They send them in to the producers, and uh, just hope for the best. And in in this case, actually, I when I auditioned for it the first time, I I've just based on the audition copy and what little I knew about this character, in which is to say nothing, um, because when they when they send out an audition, uh, the way it comes in is you you see a picture of the character, and then there's a description of the character, and then some sample and perhaps a, a broader description of the show itself and the characters, uh, where the character fits into this show and the, the other relationships within the show, um, and then some sample lines uh, for us to read as that character. So you sort of take your clues uh, about what to do based on what the character looks like, uh, what the description of the character is in the show is, what they're saying they're looking for if they have specifics, um, like in the case of uh, Ninja Turtles and Michelangelo, where they said they're looking for a surfer dude. Um, and then you also look at the sample lines that you have to read, because very often that will give you a, a clue as to, you know, kind of getting into this character's head. So when I, So I took all that into account, but when I read the lines and I saw I, I saw sort of how kind of bizarre uh, and off the wall this guy was for for what he looked like I thought oh I think I get this guy <laughs> which maybe is not something good to admit but I but I really felt like I had a, a you know a bit of an understanding in into what he what his personality might be like or what certainly what his sound might be like. And, uh, and so I did that for this audition and I didn't get it. Um, they, they had booked somebody else and, and, uh, and so I was bummed, but you know, it, it was, it was just another job. It was, this is how we get all our jobs. You just, it's a numbers game. You, they just send you the auditions, you do the auditions and you hope for the best. And if you don't get it, you move on to the next one. Um, and this was no different. Uh, I didn't get it, um, however, uh, they went ahead and recorded the first episode and decided they needed to uh, make a change in the casting and so they sent the audition out to uh just I think a couple of guys um, who they had con- were considering for callbacks for this now. so I got a second shot at it, and I did very much the same thing for this callback that I had done uh, originally. And they were directing me in a different direction that I was kind of, sort of, skinny in my eyes at, but you know, I, I went with it and sort of did a, a an amalgamation of the a, a mix of the two, if you will. And uh, I ended up booking it. I was like, "Whoa, crazy!" That well, you know, what a mixed blessing this is, you know, mixed only in that I didn't get it the first time, um, and now I ended up getting it. I mean, that's kind of a, a you know a nice turn of events. And so I showed up at the first session, and my first recording session for it uh, happened to be a re-record of the first episode, and and they were only re-recording the Tick's lines and Arthur's lines, and I had heard that Mickey Dolenz, uh who I was a big fan of when I was 12 years old, uh, because I was a big fan of the Monkees, and a big fan of Mickey's actually because he was the drummer, and as a kid, I wanted to be a drummer. So I knew, I had heard that he's doing the voice of Arthur. And so I thought, wow, may, you know, maybe I'll get a chance to meet Mickey uh, at this session. Well, as it turned out, not only did I get a chance to meet him, but uh, they were only recording Tix and Arthur's line. So it was just the two of us in the studio that day, um, re, redoing that first episode. And so uh, that was, that was super surreal for me, uh, to not only have now booked this, this character, um, but to be able to work with Mickey Dolans and and try and get my head around the fact that I'm the superhero and he's my sidekick, and I again that was one of those moments where I just had to shake my head and go, how in the world did this happen? This is nuts to me. Um, and so that's yeah, that's how the tick came around um, for me.
0: And I got to ask did 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 uh did, did the show ever get too crazy for you like you walk in and read a script and go okay this is too crazy even for this no, show
1: No there was no such thing as too crazy as a matter of fact that was what I loved the most about it uh because it was so off the wall and Ben Edlund who was such a genius is such a genius uh uh that to be able to craft this to be able to first conceive this character and then to be able to craft him the way he did and then to be able to write him the way he did along with all the other characters um was just was just mind bending and it was the most fun i had doing animation and i'm that's not to disparage my 10 years of doing mikey on tmnt at all uh it was just different but it was such A kick going in to do these sessions. I mean, so I'm 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 gathering that you're familiar with this series. So (laughs) yeah, okay. So so you know, at the end of many of the episodes, the tick would end up going off on these like crazy rants, you know, uh, that that would just get more bizarre and more bizarre, and that's how the episode would end, uh, with a with a tick, you know doing this crazy sort of mind-bending thing. Um, well, I, I quickly became such a fan of that particular part of the episode uh, that I didn't want to know what I was going to be saying at the end of and a particular episode we were going in to record. So I would get to the session, and they would hand us our scripts, and the way it typically happens is you, you get your script there, and they... They hand you your script and you start going through it and looking for your lines and either highlighting or circling and marking your lines somehow so that when you go into the studio to record, um, you know, you know when your line's coming up. And it also gives you a chance to sort of scan the episode, sort of see where it's going and, and, uh, and all like that there. So I would, I got into the habit of when, when I get my script, I'd, I'd start scanning it and marking my lines. But when I would get to the very end of the script, maybe that last page or two where the tick would then start to go off, I wouldn't read it. I didn't want to read it until we got into the studio and actually got on mic and they were recording. Because I wanted my very first record to be the very first time I saw these words. And the very first time I saw these words, Was the very first time they were coming out of my mouth out loud. And, and so it, I I found that by just doing it cold like that and not really knowing where this rant was going to go, but my eye would catch like just the next couple of words or maybe the next line down to just get a hint of where it was going. I could, I could just go with it. It was like I was just caught up in some sort of, you know, current. That would, that would take me, you know, in some direction that I wasn't quite sure of, but I just went with it and, you know, went with the flow. And I think very often those first takes that I just dig cold were the takes that they ended up using, uh, for the show. Um, you know, it was, it could never get too weird for me. Uh, it, that's what I loved about that show. It was, it was just so bizarre and off the wall and hilarious. Um, you know, in such a send-up of superheroes and stuff, I think that that's why it ended up being so popular. I do say, I, I will say, that I think Fox, uh, Fox Kids at the time, made a mistake by not by not seeing this uh, show as more adult than they saw it. Um, you know, I, I think they still tended to want to see it as a cartoon uh, for kids. And hence, you know, they're wanting to keep it on Saturday mornings, uh, in their Fox kids block instead of, you know, putting it on Sunday nights next to the Simpsons, uh, which is where I think it, you know, probably should have been and perhaps could have had a much longer life had it been. Um, but it didn't, you know, and so we, we did three seasons out of it and, uh, I loved every single episode of those, uh, three years that we got on it and, uh, and it was a blast it was just a blast to do um i mean to this day you know i mean when we go to go do these comic cons and stuff it's either the it's either teenage mutant ninja turtles or the tick that that people want to talk about you know and uh you know and, and tell stories about and um i'm i'm always thrilled to you know meet kids who were you know young college guys uh, back in 1995 uh and 1996 who would get up on Saturday mornings and, you know, go down to the dorm, you know, uh, lounge and watch the tick together with their, their friends. Um, it was a, it was a blast. And again, you know, um, the tick is iconic in his own way. Uh, you know, perhaps not as broad a, an audience as, as uh, Ninja Turtles had, but boy, I'll tell you the audience that it, it did have, um, was rabid. And, and extremely loyal. And I, I meet, I meet the, and when I see these guys, because it was primarily a, a male audience, and not to say that there weren't uh, females that, that loved it as well. But, um, yeah, but uh, the, when I meet the folks today who were big fans of the tick back then, uh, it's, it's always a joy.
0: And how is it like coming back to, to, to work on the tick as midnight on the new live action series?
1: It was a blast. I mean, again, an honor, you know, I, a, a couple of years ago in, in June of whatever year that, what were we, 19 now? So maybe two thousand seventeen, two thousand yeah, 17 or 16. Um, Ben called me, uh, and said, Hey, uh, I, we're doing this live action version of the tick. Maybe you've heard of it. And, uh, and I want you to be a part of it. Um, and I said, I would love that. And so he explained what the character was and uh, they kind of needed to, um, you know, make this thing happen quick because they were about to, you know, go into production and get this thing, uh, dropped on Amazon. And, uh, so I couldn't have, I could have been more thrilled, uh, you know, to get a call like that. And after what at that point, 20 years or something it had been since we'd done the series, the animated series. Um, they had done a live action version prior to that, uh, shortly after we did our, uh, animated series with Patrick Warburton. And I think they did, I don't know, 10 or 11 episodes of that back then. Um, and so here they were doing this, this new version and I thought, wow, this is great. I love to see the fact that, that, that yet another character is, is, is having life breathed into it again and, uh, is going to see the light of day one more time. Um, so uh, so just the fact that it was even coming back uh whether I was going to be involved in it or not was thrilling to me because it would bring it back into the public's uh consciousness, if you will uh there'd be there'd be an awareness of this character and this show again, and maybe people might you know look back at the history of it and see oh there was a there was a cartoon series based on um, this character uh, back in the mid nineties you know let's check that out. So I was thrilled just the fact that it was even coming back as a live action uh, show on Amazon. Um but when Ben called me and said, "Yeah, I want you to be a part of this." Um I was that was like being handed a bag of gold. And um and so yeah, I was thrilled to thrilled to do it, thrilled to be a part of that. Don't know if they're going to bring Midnight back or not, but uh certainly for um for the episodes that I got a chance to be a part of, again, another great gift. Uh, you know, being, being handed to me by, um, by a, 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 uber talented, uh, individual, um, and an uber cool individual too. Ben Edlund's a pretty amazing man.
0: Yeah, it's kind of crazy because most comic creators don't, you know, kind of do, do, do a one-time thing and then they just don't, don't uh, pay attention to it anymore. But Ben, Ben is like, you know, still going strong with the tick. And I love that shows he's no passion
1: y well, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, I'm just I was just going to say he's really passionate about his work.
1: Yeah. Well, yes, he definitely is. He has a great affection for for this character and for this baby that he birthed uh back in the, you know, late 80s and uh in in you know, Massachusetts, which is, you know, where Ninja Turtles were born as well, you know, and these these crazy young, you know, Massachusetts born kids who came up with these, you know, crazy concepts, you know, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird with the Ninja Turtles and Ben Edlin with a tick, um, and sort of bizarre, you know, black and white, you know, one-off comic books, you know, that then ended up becoming, you know, slightly popular and then more popular locally and then turned into color versions of, you know, and then, and then ended up exploding. And, uh, yeah, Ben has a great affection for for the character, and the fact that he's you know still wanting to to keep it going and 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 invest as much as he has invested in it um, personally um, in his time and energy and talent uh, really speaks to um, the love that he he has for this this character, uh, which I think is very cool. You know, Kevin Eastman is the same way. Um, I love going and doing these comic cons and still seeing these guys, you know, it's like every year in July, I go down to San Diego for San Diego comic con and, and, uh, and I hang out, I sit in the, um, in the New England comics booth, which is the company who originally published the very first tick, uh, comic. Um, this was a comic store, uh, you know, back in Massachusetts still is, um, that Ben used to hang around, uh, you know, when he was 16, 17 years old and, uh, and when he first drew his first versions of the tick, they would put these, this artwork up on the walls in this comic store. And the owner of the comic store liked it so much, said, you know, you should maybe think about doing a book based on that. And Ben did. And so then they, you know, I guess as I understand it, we're in cahoots. uh, uh or in partnership, I should say. And, um, yeah, and they, and they started publishing this book. And, and so I, I still go down to New England comics booth at, um, Comic-Con every year down in San Diego and, and still love meeting fans and hanging out with the folks. Ben, you know, stops by every year and and we'll hang out in the booth and talk to fans and, and, and draw, you know, original uh, drawings for them, uh, of the tick and, and uh sign autographs and it 's always great to see him down there and um it's always great to see um uh, kevin eastman uh at, at, at comic con well when we go to comic con but what they 're doing now and they 've been doing for the last couple of years is they've gotten the the four of us original voices back together and are are sending us out on comic cons together as a unit, <laughs> if you will. And so we've been making uh, appearances at comic cons uh, really around the country. I think we've got four or five coming up uh, in the second half of this year uh, that are going to be great fun, and we'll get to hang out with Kevin Eastman at those. And he's still drawing Ninja Turtles for for fans, and you know, signing his autographs. Of course, if you go on his website, you know, uh, it's 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 all about Ninja Turtles. He's he's just got such a machine going there, um, and and his love. Of the franchise and the characters that he birthed uh, back in the 80s, same deal, you know. So um I, I love these guys. I love these their creativity and what they've the the products that they've come up with, of course. But uh, I just love being a part of it, and still all these years later, uh, to see the passion that still that still ignites, uh, or is ignited in them, and ignites. Um, the fire that burns uh, underneath these 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 huge cauldrons of animated goodness, if you will.
0: And finally, what's next for Townsend Coleman?
1: Oh gosh, Abdullah, you know, um, I, I listen. I'm just a really lucky guy at my age to be. I mean, I'm like uh, here, pretty much looking at retirement age. Not saying I have any plans to retire because I don't. You know, I, I'll keep working until I, you know, don't have a voice left. Um, if I can, of course. Um, but like I was saying earlier, you know, really back in, in around 2000 or so, late nineties, I was kind of getting out of animation and then, uh, got pulled back into it with, um, uh, Transformers animated, uh, in 2006, 2007, somewhere around in there. Uh,
0: 2007.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and was called into audition for the character of Sentinel Prime uh primarily because uh, the writers and producers of that show were big fans of the Tick. and they wanted I mean they even have said that they designed Sentinel Prime uh with the big chin and and uh, you know his sort of signature blue um uh, uh color uh as a nod to the tick, and so they wanted me to audition for it and do something that was tick-ish. They didn't want the voice of the tick for it, but you know, that sort of had a flavor of that. And so that's how that came about, you know. And in, in kind of, you know, a number of years after I had sort of let animation go, and that was sort of a part of my past. Really, uh, t- uh, voicing TV network promos had become um, the thrust of my career. At that point, um, as the voice of NBC uh, over here, the comedy voice, I should say, from 1993 through 2009, voiced all their comedy promos and the late night promos for Jay Leno. But so I was really concentrating on that. And so when this uh, Transformers animated came around, um, uh, that was a treat, you know, and got to uh, work with some uh, a, a, yet another a fantastic cast um, and get to you know sort of get back in the animated saddle again Um and who did that feel good? <laughs> uh, and so, um so I did uh, Transformers Animator for a couple of seasons. Um, and then when that went away, uh, again, just sort of let the animation thing go, uh, continued on with my, uh, my promo work. And so that's primarily what I do now. I, uh, my main gig, uh, every day is I voice the promos for, uh, Live with Kelly and Ryan, uh, Kelly Rippa and Ryan Seacrest. A show that's on ABC, uh, here in the mornings. And, you know, so that keeps me, uh, busy-ish. Um, but I audition for stuff and, uh, you know, I'm always, uh, you know, trying to score, um, a new work. Um, and it's, it's really a numbers game and the numbers have become so, uh, so, just fantastic. I mean, when I, when I, I don't mean that in a good way. They've just become so huge. Yeah, I mean, it's like playing the lottery now. It's, I don't really look at the business as really even being that competable anymore. Um, certainly I don't think anybody gets the kind of, I mean, with, with some exceptions, I mean, there's still some, you, you talk about animation royalty. There's, you know, there's still animate, animation royalty out there, uh, voice actors who will always work and will always, you know, be doing new shows and will always be the go-to uh, men and women in this business. Um, I'm not one of those guys. Um, never really have been. you know I just had a really um, full uh, time sort of between eighty five and two thousand so that that fifteen year span for me was was it you know um, but there there are folks in who, who really are the uh, the cartoon royalty who will always be working. Um, so I'm really not talking about them. I'm really talking sort of more about the next level down, if you will. You know, there's the journeyman voice actors um, who will never be working. Uh, none of us will ever be working to the extent that we used to work, largely because there's so many people who want to do it now. You know, it looks like back when I started, voiceover wasn't a thing. To me it was because I had discovered it early on and discovered it through radio. Um, but it's kind of once the Internet hit, and everybody started realizing that there is this thing. And and when it became technologically feasible for, you know, all of us to be able to do it from anywhere in the world. I mean, look at it. Here, you're in Kuwait. I'm in Glendale, California. We're talking like we're having, you know, uh, we're just, you know, sitting here over coffee. And uh, that's pretty freaking amazing to me that we can do this. So you could be doing it from your home there. Um Anybody can be doing it from their home anywhere. Now, animation's a different animal because the animation you got to be local. Um cuz the producers and the writers they like you to all be in the studio uh, at the same time for TV animation. Uh feature animation's a little different. They'll they'll do each of the actors separately and and then, you know, mash it all together. Um but you know for commercials and for promos and for audiobooks and for pretty much any other area of the voiceover industry um it kind of doesn't matter where you are now um, you know anybody can have a you know with their laptop and a and a decent usb mic and a pair of headphones and a good internet connection you know they can be off and running um, the problem is getting represented you know how do you get the audition copy To audition for. Well, there are websites for that now, Um, and so there are just thousands upon thousands of people wanting to do voiceovers, and 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 so the you know the pickings are a whole lot slimmer now than they used to be, and you know so I guess I just was lucky in the fact that I came out here when I did. I broke into it when I did. You know, it wasn't as competitive as it is now. Um so you ask me what's next for me I just keep auditioning and uh you know got a great agent hope I you know continue to book some stuff until I'm uh you know ready to hang hang up the headphones
0: And uh thanks for coming on the show
1: I <laughs> really oh, appreciate it Dude it's my pleasure you, you you've been delightful and I am just <laughs> I'm fascinated by the fact that 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 you are uh uh a, a cool uh, if I can say this and I believe me, I say it with all respect is that you're a Kuwaiti who speaks Arabic, um, as your native language. And yet I would never in a million years have known that because you sound like you're from, uh, you know, right next door here in, here in Glendale. Uh, and so God bless you, man. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. I really, really appreciate it. And thanks for being a fan. Thanks for, um uh, we were talking a little bit uh, off the air before we started recording and, uh, and Abdullah was uh, telling me some some great stuff about uh what animation and and what uh, voice actors and 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 what cartoons have meant to him in in his life and I just think that that's fantastic man it's uh, always it's always an honor and a privilege to have been just even a tiny part of of meaning something uh to folks out there so thanks for saying that I appreciate it
0: and you're welcome to come back anytime
1: thank you dude So appreciate it.